Welcome to the Bravest Kind Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Schaefer, and I am a firefighter and EMT in the Seattle area. This is episode 20, and I'm back with new guests after taking a summer break. I launched this podcast to share stories of individuals demonstrating bravery and vulnerability in their everyday lives. Over the summer, I had the opportunity to reflect on what I learned while talking to incredible individuals, some first responders like myself, but most were men and women who have made intentional choices to live brave and authentic lives. I've learned two things along the way. One, it takes a lot of bravery to admit our struggles publicly. When we create space for this, we create opportunities to connect with one another on a deeper level. The second thing I've learned is that regardless of the type of job we do or the roles we serve in our communities, our experiences have power and can make a difference in someone else's life. I'm excited you're on this journey with me. I look forward to introducing you to more brave and vulnerable individuals as it is my sincere belief that by doing so, it gives us the ability to unlock bravery within ourselves. My guest today is Dan Doty. Dan is a writer, wilderness guide, men's coach, and somatic meditation teacher. I feel honored to have Dan join me on The Bravest Kind as he has appeared on the Joe Rogan podcast three times, The Today Show, and has worked as a director, producer, and writer on shows such as Meat Eater and Apex Predator. He has been at the forefront of a global men's movement and delivered talks around the world on the importance of men bringing their wildness and love out into the open. Dan leads group expeditions and also provides both group and individual coaching. We discuss his Fatherhood Unlocked program and the importance of men getting their personal lives in order so they can show up for both themselves and their family. Although Dan does work with lots of men, women, trust me, you are going to want to hear this too to better understand the men in your lives. And men, whether you are a father or not, there's so much in here that men need to hear about being present, slowing down, and taking time for ourselves. A quick reminder before we start today's show, if you have not yet done so, please rate and subscribe to The Bravest Kind on either Apple or Spotify podcasts and share the show with others. Also, if you enjoy this episode, post and tag The Bravest Kind on social media. Find me, Ryan Schaefer, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, so Dan, you are a writer wilderness guide, a men's coach, and somatic meditation teacher. And you've really been at the forefront of a global men's movement. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how that pertains to my career as a firefighter. I work predominantly with a lot of alpha males, as you can imagine. Or we see our share of trauma, uh, certainly, in uh, my day-to-day work. And opening up emotionally at the firehouse isn't always the easiest of things. So I'm curious, if you were to give a talk to a group of firefighters or coach a group of firefighters, what sort of message would you deliver to us to help us become more open and vulnerable? Yeah, I'd make it real short. It would be like you guys are really good at doing the hard thing, the scary thing that if you turn that same skill set around on yourself and explore yourself and do the scary looking into yourself, uh, you will be healthier. Your family will be better off. Your relationships will be better. You'll probably live longer. So step up. Amen, man. I love it. That's my short version. (laughs) Excellent. Just say it as it is. So like I said, you've, you've obviously, you, you do a lot of uh, coaching with organizations and leaders. And I know you know, leading men is, is, is really a, a sweet spot of yours. I know you've also worked as a wilderness therapy guide. Um, I, you came into my orbit through my wife, who was a teacher through the Big Picture Network. And you taught in inner city New York, right? Was it in the yeah, Bronx, Bronx or yeah. in the Bronx, right? Through that uh, same big picture network. Where does your passion of service come from? Oh, I, I'll tell a story that I've said, I've told it a couple of times, but I think it's, I think it's the right, I think it's the accurate answer to your question. Um, I, I grew up having uh, plenty, right? I mean, we actually, we didn't have a bunch of money. We actually had very little money, but I grew up in a tiny town in North Dakota with very few people in it, in rural, agricultural, prairie town. Um, My parents were together. They had their own things, but we were fundamentally a very tight and loving family. And, uh, you know, I didn't have any, I didn't have any massive traumas in my, in my childhood and 
had found success in martial arts and I found success in other ways or at an early age. And I just remember sitting, my dad used to drive me to Taekwondo two or three times a week. Sometimes it was twice, but a lot of times it was three times a week, about 20 miles away from where we lived. And um, I remember a lot of my memories of my dad come from sitting next to him in the truck when we were just driving places for whatever reason that, you know, it's probably the only like forced intimacy that we ever actually had because we were, you know, sitting there close to each other. But, um, I remember reading the paper and uh, Clinton was a president and just, I had this clear like feeling wash over me, which was like, geez, dad, we have it pretty fucking good. (laughs) <laughs> like in the yeah. history of humanity in like all of human history, like here I am like a privileged, uh, happy fed, you know, white boy in a safe rural town. And I don't know, it was just a very strong feeling in me. And it was it, the second thought that came was, well, if we don't, I guess it was more of an I, but maybe I thought of it as a way, if I don't capitalize on that, like what the fuck is the point? Mm-hmm. So I was a very introspective kid from very early ages, I would, you know, lay awake at night and just, you know, wander and question what eternity meant. I was always yeah. like, thinking fairly deep for a, for a little pudgy guy from North Dakota, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I just had a feeling, man. I just had a feeling like, like that's what we're here for. Or, that's what I'm here for. It's like, I can't think of anything. Nothing ever intrigued me the other way, yeah. right? Like nothing yeah. ever pulled me. And so I, you know, when I was younger, I thought I'd be a teacher, which I became a teacher. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought I'd become a college professor, but my my uh, scope of view of life was quite limited as a young person. And so um, my first real job and career out of college, I became a wilderness therapy guide, as you mentioned. And it just fit, man. It's like I just got to show up and have these wild adventures and show up and be a professional big brother and serve other people. And uh, I needed it myself. I needed a ton of therapy myself. So I kind of snuck in the back door without yeah. knowing it, started to, you know, experience uh, more of the things that helped me come alive. And um, it's just, I don't know, man, it feels right. It yeah. feels right. It, you said you were always a very introspective and uh, kind of daydreamer as a kid. That specific story you just told about being in the car with your dad and, and Clinton president back and forth from a taekwondo practice how old were you when you had this thought you know what i've I've tried to pinpoint it but probably more on i don't know i don't know i wish i i wish i i asked my dad and he doesn't remember it so if i could remember what belt i was what taekwondo belt i was maybe i maybe i'll have to find a hypnotist to report me back well let me ask you this was this something that was discussed amongst your family are you do you have siblings of one one little brother yeah. Okay. So this wasn't topics around the dinner table and things like that about. No, I mean, I don't know. We went to a Lutheran church, you know, maybe, maybe it was certainly part of the messaging in, in church. Um, but I think as you asked that question, I think probably was it, what it was, was um, it's how my mom lived mm-hmm. in her, you know, in terms of the family. It's just this, this very single pointed caregiver, love, you know, service oriented yeah. um so yeah, maybe I probably did have really good role models for it. Um, I just, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. I and mean, I was just curious. I mean, I can relate to that. I, you know, both of my parents are teachers. My, my parents ran a Montessori school for 40 oh, no years shit, that huh? my older sister cool. has now taken over. Mm-hmm. And my younger sister is a teacher uh, Bonnie used to teach as well. And so I have surrounded myself particularly by educators, but definitely I think a life of service was instilled to me at a pretty young age, which probably makes sense as I became a firefighter. I think I was always drawn to, to professions and, and to outlets that, that, that serve that. But you take it a whole nother step, I think. And I'm really impressed with the work that you do. And yeah, I'm just curious as you also talked about just always like laying in bed and, 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 you know, think even of eternity and all these existential kind of, kind of thoughts. You seem to have really like grounded your work and have framework around some of your teachings, which we'll talk about here throughout this interview. But do you still find yourself to be a daydreamer? That's a really good question. I think the answer is yes, but now it seems to be applied daydreaming, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's what I'm curious, right? Like, yeah, how do you, yeah. how do you kind of mesh yeah. that with actual like tangible framework on how to, how to live this yeah, kind of life. 
That's such a good question. That's like a very good question. Um, I would say the daydreaming, the, I, I, here's one of the things that I know I have a source of to, to, to bring to other people. And that's creativity. Like, like I can just sort of like open this little door in my mind and just like go. And, um, I think that's become my, in some ways that's very much, um, what I do when I, when I work with people, when I guide meditation, when I, uh, do, you know, therapeutic oriented coaching and, and sort of psycho spiritual work with people, it's very much, um, letting go of the, of the sort of cognitive moment and really just sort of opening into that more flow of imagery and sensation. Just, it's a, it's a, just a different part of, I guess you could say my brain or my body or the whole thing yoked together, whatever. So I actually believe that I've cultivated that probably not purposefully to start to start. Mm -hmm. It was just, um, you know, my career really started. I really started to come into who I was when I, when I did the work in the wilderness. And I just feel like, actually, I just got back from leading an eight day canoe trip two days ago. And I got a, a remembrance of what it does and what it did. And I feel like going out in the woods for a really long time, like there's a lot of things it can do, but one fundamental thing is it just, it kind of gives you time to catch up with yourself and know who you are. I mean, it's just, you have a lot of open time and space and things feel different. And um, so I just think that that started a process for me where um, I got a really fast, in, uh, uh, impactful sort of training in mindfulness without uh, doing it formally. Stepping away from that, but you were talking about that eight day canoe trip and I actually I think I saw that I was looking at your website and, and I uh, saw that you had that retreat going on that just ended because I do a lot of, I do a lot of outdoor uh, adventures with, uh, and I've, I've got a group of buddies that we do an annual backpacking trip and just make sure it's somewhere that we're getting away, no cell phone service, anything like that. And you definitely feel like you said, you, you catch up with yourself, you get in tune with yourself, you learn to slow down again and, and actually be in tune. I think the challenge, at least I'm speaking of myself, how do we integrate that when we then yeah. come back into our day-to-day lives? How do you, how do you do that personally? So you're just on that. Now you're back with your wife and two kids and your wife's pregnant yeah. with a third on the way. You've got your business to run. How do you keep that? Yeah, man. Well, I told you before we started recording here. So this morning, uh, my wife and I cut out a half a day, um, eight to noon, basically yeah. for a date together. And, um, you know, I came back fairly depleted from the trip, like very happy and full and all the things, but, but it's a lot to, to do that kind of big work with people 24 hours a day for eight days. And it was great, but I came home and, um, yeah, we kind of knew we needed to connect. Actually, so my wife is going, I'm sending her on, well, not sending her, but she's going <laughs> uh, to a little retreat cabin for three days starting tonight. And so I'm going to have right. the boys for the rest of the week. Yep. And uh, so those are, I guess, two examples of of really intentionally building in similar paced parts of life throughout throughout the norm, right? And it's not always possible that we can take a morning and have a date. That's like my business like isn't in a place where I can just like fuck off and do what I want yet. But, um, you know, we are, it's actually, this is such a good topic. So a couple years ago, so we moved to Maine, we bought it, we're, you know, we bought a house, we're fixing it up. We have this beautiful piece of land we're on. Um, a couple years ago, we lived in a 33-foot RV on a regenerative farm in California. The, the four of us with two cats and a dog. And um, it was one of the most remarkable times of my life and all of our lives. It was just this magic, beautiful time. And it was actually born out of hardship. Like we were struggling financially. <laughs> we needed yeah. to live in an RV on a farm. Yeah. Um but it was so absolutely magical. And so that was, so my whole life I spent so much time going out in the wilderness and then coming back and then going out and coming back. And there's been these moments in my life where I get a hit of the same thing in my life. So living in that RV was one. It was like, basically we were camping all the time. It was just fucking awesome. That's not practical for the, for the long run, but we've tried to carry through some of the lifestyle choices now. Like, you know, we live with our windows open all, you know, eight months a year. And we get out, like just our number one thing as a family is we get outside and we're on the land and we're in the garden and we're in the woods and we're doing all the things. And, 
Um, so that's working really well. But then there's an, another intentional part, which is my meditation practice is to me an extension of the exact same energy and um, sense of being out in the woods and doing those things. So I've cre- tried, to, tried to create pretty successfully, I guess, uh, very functional daily touch points of the same type of goodness that comes from being out there. Right on, man. So switch gears again here. I know you work with a lot of different walks of life, right? Executives, organizations, families. But I know that coaching men and helping men connect is really at the heart of your ethos. How did you land upon focusing on the and understanding the emotional needs of men specifically? Yeah. Uh, So I was prepared for it because I... <laughs> I was an emotional dunce um, most of my life, so it was something that I was subconsciously probably seeking out. Um, you know, to, I was a, I was a, always a strong. I always had feelings. I definitely felt a lot as a kid, but and then I can also remember sort of learning how to shut that down and push it away and, and really not be with it. But I think that once I sort of got the sense that um, wait, these things in us can be expressed, and when they are expressed, it's just way fucking different. Um, was it was it was just a I think it was a deep subconscious desire of my own. But where it really happened was my first gig in the wilderness uh, was in Western Utah, kind of southwest of Salt Lake City, out in the big brown hills out there. And um, those type of therapeutic wilderness programs, they split them into boys and girls groups, um, and for fairly obvious reasons, right? And um, I just started working with boys groups and it's just, oh, it just it just became my thing. And as it happened, you know, so hundreds and hundreds of days out with young men, I also started doing specialty programs between fathers and sons. And um, that was the hook, man. That there was, there was things that went down seeing fathers and sons actually open up and share their love for each other. It was just like, it was a, it was a big deal. Um, but then a newer thing that I've learned too, just more actually more recently, because I'm I, I do primarily focus. Um, I have let's just say this: I have primarily focused my work with men. It is shifting. Um, I'm I'm doing way more work now with fathers, but I do do work in co-ed environments and corporate and all those things. But the one thing that I've learned recently is that um, you know I think there was this protective. I always felt very protective of my mom, even when I was very 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 young. And um, I'm just kind of putting it together now that, you know, possibly, possibly part of the deep drive to help men learn how to be more healthy was some sort of uh, deep want and need to like protect my mom and and possibly other women. And that's just kind of coming to the surface now because I'm about to have a daughter. We're having a girl. We have two boys. I spent... You know, I've spent most of my life just with dudes. It's just yep. where I ended up. Um, but actually, this past like three or four years, I I, I, I kind of intentionally was like, "This is what am I doing? <laughs> Missing out? I want women friends. I want to be, you know." Right. And um, so, yeah, right now I have probably more and deeper friendships with women than than men for the first time in my life, and huh. just kind of a yeah, kind of a journey that I've been going on. Well, I tell you, as a father, I have two, a daughter and a son. And there, there's nothing like that relationship, that father daughter relationship. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got, I've got an awesome, I've got an awesome relationship with both my kids, uh, but, and they're, and they're different in their own special, beautiful way. But yeah, there's something about that father daughter bond. That's how old are they? Uh, Poppy, my daughter is nine, uh, soon to be 10. She's a fourth grader. And then my son Van, uh, he is almost seven. He'll be seven on October 2nd and he's in first grade. Yeah. So they're a fun age right now. You know, they're like little, just independent beings, but still, still need, still need mom and dad and still like hanging out with us. So it's a really, I feel like we're in a really fun, sweet spot where we're, we're through all the, all the toddler and little kid phase. And I mean, they still have their moments and they, they, they fight all the time like siblings do, but yeah, we're, we're in a, we're in a pretty good sweet spot right now. It feels like. That's right. Let's talk about uh, fatherhood. Actually, that was a question I wanted to uh, dive into a little bit. But since we're on the topic, we'll, we'll do it now because you have a another program. And you just said that a lot of the work that you're doing is starting to revolve around 
work with fathers and children. And you actually have a four-month program called Fatherhood Unlocked, which kicks off, I believe, on Monday, right? September 27th. So we're, I don't, we're yeah. not totally sure when we'll air this episode. It'll be after yeah. that, but uh, we're just a few days away from that right now. Well, just quickly on that, I'm, I'm that one has filled up, but I, um, I am opening a second cohort nice. this fall too in, in about a month. Okay. Well, great. Well, good. Well, congrats on the fact that it filled up. That that means that uh, things are going in the right direction, and what you're doing is resonating with people. What skills and tools do we need to be equipped with to become better fathers? Yeah. I mean, that's a loaded question. That's a broad question. And again, this is a four-month program, but you know what I mean? Like, what do you really want to hone in when you talk to to fathers uh, on the relationship? I'll go to the biggest one first. And and that is um, the capacity and the willingness to uh, give and receive love in all of the different ways, right? And um, uh, there's been, I remember one thing, it just broke my freaking heart and this is just one small example, but a handful of years ago at a retreat I was leading, it wasn't a fatherhood retreat, it was just a men's retreat. And one of the guys that was in my small group with me, um, such a love, actually he might've been a, was he a firefighter? He's either a firefighter or a, or a high school teacher, funny enough, but <laughs> he was from the Bronx. Um, and uh, he had a little kid and he, had, and he, had, he just, he just wasn't comfortable giving hugs or snuggling yeah. or cuddling any of that. And, um, it was, I mean, it struck a chord for me cause we didn't have a whole lot of physical affection in my, in my childhood or my household either. Um, but that's just one tiny example, but I, I feel like a, a lot of my work, there's a lot of aspects to it, but at the end of the day, it really is about, um, kind of waking up to the, the simple reality that, that, we feel as parents and, and that like kind of wild, amazing, protective, all encompassing, like, you know, sacrificial, uh, servant leadership, amazing, just beautiful thing. And I just feel like it's such a compelling human force, right? I mean, isn't that what's more compelling than that? And so not uh, the, the ETH or the, the tagline of the programs is, is that it's all for them, but it starts with me. And so there's big elements. So yes, there's the, the the kind of like the big question of of just showing up fully and being present, being willing to like be all the way engaged with your kids and be uh, be able to give and receive love. But it's it's um, it is also a these days the where a lot of the work goes is there's like can split it into two camps, and it's not fair to do that. But one camp is all right, dad, you really do need to know how to not repress your feelings. You need to know how to be uncomfortable in that emotional conversation and be present for the whole thing. You need to like lead by example and show pain when you have it and not pretend all of this weird bullshit that so much has happened. So that's part of it is you got to soften up, right? But at the same exact time, it's, like with the demands of life, it's like, you got to get your, you got to be on point. Like, do you know where your career is going? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, is your, yeah. are you building a, a safety net for your family? Like, are you uh, clear and clean in your mind? Right. Are you, are you fucking around in some way that could yeah. blow everything up? Right. And so it's, it's, it's both. It's, it's getting really clear. And, and that's the way I like to frame it is that, uh, fatherhood becomes what for me the most compelling opportunity to just like like get it together dude you know and yep. in 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 the best ways and um so it's just a very energized time i mean there's like one sort of avatar of, of who i've been working with a lot it's like a dude with a pretty good job or a really good job and um some willingness or desire to sort of either grow up or wake up or whatever, whatever that feels like. And then something kind of happens around like one or two kids in, and all of a sudden you see your, your uh, weak spots hurting others. Like in a moment, it's just like when I can't show up, I see the damage that's done. It's just, all right, I'm not like, I'm, I have to do something now. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. You got, I mean, it's just that, it's that ultimate act of selflessness. Yeah. 
but it but it's amazing because it also brings it back to the to the self too right because it's and that's one thing i think that's kind of happening in the men's sort of world right now it is selfless and if you don't clean your own shit up inside yeah, no, i get that yep you know yep and so it's like kind of that perfect yeah a couple of, yeah exactly no that's exactly right it is the it is the yin and the yang i mean like you said, get your shit together. I mean, you're right. You know, someone once talked about being a father and a family as like a CEO of your own little, of yeah. your own little business. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of a good way to look at it. You know, I've used that language, dad as CEO. And yeah. it really is. It's like, yeah. where are you guys going? Yeah. What's the vision? Yep. Where you want to live? How you want to yep. live? How you want to spend your time? How are you going to make that happen, dude? You know? Right. So it's very, very, uh, very constructive in that way. Too. Yeah. Where do you think we come up short the most as men in general? I'm not, not, not necessarily as fathers, but yeah, as men, uh, I feel well, one, which I won't blame on anybody really, but, um, I think we all, myself included come up short by having way too much happening being f- spread far too thin and just basically moving too fast all the time. Um, I know that's not true for everyone, but it's very, very common that um, we get locked into things and we get wrapped around 10 different things. And, you know, it's like we're our time. I mean, this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but sliding into home after a day of work and like your kids are just there ready to, you know, be fully hearted engaged with you. And, and I think I see a lot of dads doing that and slowing down and doing it, but it's easy to just like, kind of see them like a pat, like outside of the passenger door of a car and just be like, you know, on your trip, your mind trip, whatever it is, the worry, the money, the job, the project, the whatever it is. And just like, just like not fucking be there. It's almost easiest to, neglect emotionally and time and giving to those that are closest to us in a weird way. It's almost yeah. like the people that we know will love us unconditionally and will be there. Sometimes it's easier to do those things that you just said. I, I find that in my own own life and I'm guilty as charged as you're talking. I was like, Oh my God. I, feel, I mean, my wife, Bonnie, she says that all the time. She's like, I can't keep up with this pace. Like your yeah. pace is just too much. It's like, and and then with my job, I'm I'm gone a couple three days a week usually anyway. So then I really try to pack in and condense yeah. a lot into those days that I'm home. Be it with family, be it with uh, social outlets, you know, physical outlets. To say, and so it is just uh, you know trying to pack a lot into a condensed time. But I, I that's what I find sometimes. It's almost like those that are closest to me. It's easiest to almost. I don't know if it's a rationalization or mm-hmm. what, but like I can do this because I know that I still, they're always going to, they're going to be there by my side. I've always got, and which is not the right way to, I mean, I'm, I'm not, not, not proud of saying that, but that's the reality. Yeah, well, and it's probably not always, it's not, it's not that there's a right or wrong exit, you know, certainly all the time either. I mean, there are times when, uh, you know, if I'm, selling a program or got like, I mean, and again, example last week, I at least took over the whole house for eight days. Yeah. I was gone mm-hmm. out leading the trip and, yep. uh, you know, so I, I don't know, like, I don't think all the busyness is wrong, but, but I would say, you know, mostly categorically, a lot of the dads that I tend to work with on a deep, a deep, in a deep way, there is a very real element of hitting the fucking brakes uh, in certain ways, you know, and really just like, taking the time to ask the simple questions of like, what's actually most important dude? <laughs> you know, like what, what are the, um, what is it your daughter actually needs? Like, like slow down and be curious about like, what is it or your son or your wife or your partner or your husband, like whatever it is. Right. I think. Um, and so that's what, you know, these fatherhood programs are fundamentally that I'm doing are uh, small groups of, you know, dads that are doing that slowing down asking those questions and wanted to soak it in you know yeah i you know i tell you that was one of the things at the early stages of the pandemic that stands out to me very vividly anytime there's something an event like that there's always the silver linings but i remember that first month or two when we were all like truly on lockdown and there was nothing going on. There weren't any activities. There was no sporting. There's no, there's no practices to go yeah. to. There was just nowhere to go. And it, 
as you know, despite going a little stir crazy at times, I mean, it was really nice just to sit and be with my family. I, and I remember thinking that like, we need to do this. Ch- changed my life, man. That, that exact thing changed my life. I, I was on a crazy travel lifestyle schedule and, um, I'm just so grateful for the like, sit down in your chair, dude, don't move. (laughs) It really, really was. I mean, I, uh, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe one day I'll think that's appropriate again, but geez, I can hardly picture it. Yeah. Yeah. So doing some research on you, I came across a handful of YouTube, uh, some talks that you did that were posted on YouTube. Uh, there was a, a TEDx talk in, in, in Bozeman and a couple others. And, one of them, you had a topic that really resonated with me, and you said how men are so used to going to a gym to work on their physical appearance and the outside of their body that we need a new kind of gym, and that needs to be focused on the inside. And what that is was forming men's groups. And I, gosh, probably five, six years ago, uh, started an informal men's group with three of my buddies, and we would call it the G4. And I say, I use this in past tense somewhat because again, COVID put a bit of a, I wouldn't say an into it, but a pause uh, just because we were no longer able to meet in person. We do some stuff on Zoom still. And then one of the guys in our group moved out of, moved out of the area. But uh, so we would get together once a month and we would do, uh, my wife and I, when we had our first, when we had Poppy, my daughter, we did a parenting, a little new parenting group. And they had this framework where each you would get together each week and you would share your high for the week, your low for the week, and you're just your huh, just the thing that kind of stumped you as a parent. So I took that same framework with these guys and we would share our high for the month, our low for the month. We changed the huh into our what the fuck for the month of just like what's going on. And then we would usually try to set some kind of actionable yeah, man goal for the next, for the next meeting, right? Whether that was career or whether that was, uh, you know, dietary or fitness or something in our relationship. So that's kind of what we did. I'm, you're, you've really been at the forefront of having these men's groups pop up really all over the world. So for our listeners out there and any men listening and, and women that could do the same, but again, if we're Mm -hmm. really kind of honing this into men, what type of framework do you use to set up a men's group? Yeah. Well, first I I would just say that you, you kind of nailed it and I love the simplicity in, in what you, in what you said there. I think the, um, yeah, the regular check-in of like what's going well, you know, what's not and where, where are you stuck? And then, what do you commit to? I mean, you you kind of you kind of nailed a, a a very standard, very functional form. Okay. So you're on the right. You certainly were, you know, feeling it. Um, you know, so I'm I'm no longer involved, but um, I helped found a company called Everyman, which which you know, if anybody listens that that is listening wants to just sort of go check out of. A fully formed organization that creates men's groups. That's that's it. And I put all of my um, all of my good stuff into that. And so the, uh, the format I would say, well, I'll int- introduce kind of a second format too, which is, um, a little bit of a meta for it, but I'll just say it quickly. So the Harvard divinity school, one of my mentors named Mukara has been sharing this, this work with me, but I guess the Harvard divinity school did a, a study on what makes meaning in today's modern world. And mm-hmm. what came back was, three ingredients one is awe or being a feeling a part of something bigger um the second is uh, a feeling of belonging where you can be yourself and just let go and you know not uh, have to hold parts yourself back and then the third is becoming right so there has to be the room for growth learning expansion that kind of thing and so i think you know a good group or a good structure um you know, it can be definitely just as simple as you said, like very informal and sit down and, or have a beer or whatever. Just be like, you know, check in, give each other time and space to, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, to go maybe a step further, a lot of groups incorporate like maybe a couple minutes of meditation to start or something to or sitting in front of, a you know, building a fire and doing it out in the backyard or something, something to sort of like uh quiet down a little bit. Uh, it doesn't have to be part of it. Some guys use breath work or whatever. Um, and then I think, you know, a good group, that element of sharing, uh, is huge and a hundred percent the point, 
in a lot of ways, right? And there's ways to create uh, safety for sharing very quickly, which is some basic ground rules of like, um, you know, confidentiality or, um, you know, the intent to fully hear somebody out all the way and not try to give advice or things like that. And just, there's just little things you can put in place. So, you know, when you sit down in this group, you know, what's different than if you're meeting at a coffee shop, right? yeah. it's just, it's just held tighter. It's held more protected. And, um, you know, part of that is learning how to listen really well too. I mean, one of the things that the being in a men's group really is deeply functional for is learning how to hear and learning how to listen and learning how to not, uh, jump all over your reactions to things too. But then, you know, you, you, you sort of have a space to get honest and maybe have some feedback from others, but then uh, it ends with a, with a goal setting or an intention usually like, what am I, what are you going to go do, man? Like you said, this is, you said, this is what's true for you. And if you don't act on it, I'm going to tell you that you're not. Yeah, that's, well, hey, some accountability. You know. Yeah, exactly. Accountability is big, I, I believe, yeah. with, with all this stuff. If we you know, talk about, yeah, you talked earlier about as as fathers getting our own shit together, right? Getting what's mm-hmm. going on inside, and you know, with our own thoughts and feelings, and our in our career and finances and everything like that. And yeah, it, it's easy to talk about wanting to make changes, but that accountability factor of actually doing it, totally. You know? totally. Yeah. yeah. I really like what you just said there too, about some of the ritual aspects of it. And that's something we never really did. And but I, whether it's meditation or a fire, like you said there, I, I, I like that to kick something off, have some kind of repeated routine or ritual uh, to kind of set this, set the tone, set the space. Totally. You know, so it's create that space, totally. that safe space. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think it's one of those interesting things where, um, I mean, I'm not sure about your, like your other fellow firefighters or your crew of people around you. But I think, you know, in creating every man and, and doing it, uh, like it's very, very clearly a place it's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable thing to do yeah. Yeah. It, depending on how deep you go or, you know, depending on how you don't have to push yourself to some crazy place, but it's generally uncomfortable to get honest. Right. Um, when we're forced to get honest with other people, we're forced to get honest with ourselves. So it's, um, can be deeply, deeply impactful and effective, right? I think that um, guys can help each other, you know, shape up in in pretty short order when when the trust is there and, and the care is there. Um, but the, what I was going to say and ask is the, you know, creating every man is is I I tried really hard to create something that wasn't automatically rejectable by every man on the planet, right? And not just be like. And I think it just was mostly rejectable, right? But it worked like enough. It was attractive to enough people. We really got a big wave of uh, energy and attention. And um, so I think of things like meditation, and I think they're becoming so part of the mainstream. It's probably not an off-putting thing anymore. But back when I was starting in men's groups, I was like, "Why is this so effective? And why is it so terrifying to tell anybody that I'm in a men's group?" And I think that's changing. But in some parts of the population, I'm sure it hasn't. I'm sure the word, the the phrase men's group, unless they caught me on Joe Rogan, probably never heard of this shit, you know? So um, I think that that, but the thing about that ceremony and ritual is like, there's this deep human part of us that whether we know it or want, just craves that, just craves like some sort of slowed down connective space, you know? Again, I think Agreed. that's why I love going to the woods because you just get that without any, without trying. Exactly. Well, let's talk about that with going to the woods. I mean, connection with the wilderness seems to be an important part, not only of your own life, but in the work that you do with others. Can you express how the outdoors feeds the soul for us as human beings? Can you put that into words? Yeah, I sure can. Um, well, I think it starts on a very physiological level. I feel like um, our bodies know how to let go in nature somehow. And I don't know how this works. I should probably do some, some digging and some, some looking into it. Um, but I'm guessing things like the, you know, uh, forest bathing in Japan and some of the other studies about kids in nature. And I've, I've read things about how our eyesight, you know, is, is formed and sharpened by looking at, you know, leaves on a tree blowing in the wind and just all these different things. And um, there's just something very, very simply 
simply uh, affirming and filling and nourishing about slowed down time in the yeah. woods, right? And I think that I think a big part of it is just that the experience of being out there, it just it just puts you into your body. It just puts you into a more um, paying attention space to your physical self. And it's, it's just, it's, I actually think it's that simple in some ways. It's that, you know, my arms are cold or my skin's getting burnt or the, you know, the boat's rocking or I'm hungry or I have to pee or whatever these like basic human experience day to day that we're always experiencing. We just actually get to hear them and we just feel them. And instead we're, you know, we're not necessarily, on some fucking trip about, you know, my 401k or like whatever, pick whatever it is. And so in a simple, simple way, it's just a force function to bring you home to your body. And there's something very primal about it. So primal, like all the way primal and not primal and like tearing a steak with your teeth, but just primal. Like it's what we fucking did for millennia. Like that's that's human history. That's what I mean when I say primal. That's what I mean. Just that's, that's how we were. (laughs) how we were formed that's how we we were that's how we lived like you said for millennia it was so beautiful so this last week it was a group of 12 and we we canoed um down a a wilderness river in maine and it was just that i you know one of the moments that really stuck with me is we we were out there for uh, you know many nights and days and then we got we finally paddled to the takeout spot we got in the truck and we're driving down um we put up the windows on my truck and there's like five people in there and it was like maybe five or 10 seconds. And then everybody felt it without having to say it. Just like, open those fucking win- windows, dude. Like, we can't be in this yeah. stuffy little box, yeah. right? And just, we did this meditation on the second to last day. And we just laid on the earth and we just listened to the wind going through the trees. And man, when you don't have to exit that kind of moment, when you get to actually just sink in and enjoy, it's perfect. It's perfection. It's perfection, right? So that's one reason. One reason is that it's just home for our human self in in some big way. Another big reason is that it is, um, I guess this is just as primal too, but, you know, in, I think in human history, how did people uh, survive? They banded together in small groups and literally, you know, co-regulate. So part of this is nervous system stuff where we co-regulate each other in a very simple, unspoken way as humans. And so, you know, you, you we had 12 people, we fit around a fire, we can sit and have a conversation, and see everybody's face. And then, so the interpersonal, the interpersonal part of it, just, um, again, it's, it's almost too easy, right? Like you have to, you, I'm here with this person for eight days, we're on an expedition, there's no going anywhere else, I can't, ba- I can't bail. That's part of it is you know there's there's when you put yourself in a situation where you can't bail it's good it's just a good situation and then you have to commit to it right and once you commit to that situation i tell you what people are fucking beautiful and awesome and you know really care about each other and it's it's just a very it's a reminder of what a healthy human sort of relationship or set of relationships can be like and that's just i don't know you know i mean i've been doing it for a long time now and i'm I'm never not astounded by um, by what happens. It's just utterly amazing, and yeah, I guess I could say a million other things, but those are the. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's spot on. I mean, as you just said, you have, I'm sure, so many uh, moments and, and and memories and experiences that you've had throughout your career. Can you, is there any one particular moment? I, not not mm-hmm. with going into details of names, and you know, I'm not not looking for you to to, to share anything uh, in the sake of confidentiality. As you as you mentioned, that's a sacred part of these groups. But is there like a moment that really stands out to you that 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 you've had through leading one of these groups or a particular person? No, I've got a, a hundred. I'll tell you a couple quick stories. And the first one, the first one is from my the earliest days of my career. The first summer when I didn't know, you know, what I was doing, but we were on a uh, a ridge. I think we were on a probably not the highest peak on a ridge, but a pretty substantial peak on a ridge. And we were camping overnight, and it was a group of young men, you know, sixteen to eighteen, sixteen to nineteen, probably. And there was this one guy I don't remember his name, but he was 
wild, just completely wild. And so I'm, you know, we didn't use tents. We just slept under tarps. And so I'm in my tarp and part of the, you know, part of the deal out in those wilderness programs when these kids are sent away to the programs is at night you have to collect the shoes so the kids don't run away. Um, Anyway, I get woken up or maybe I hadn't fallen asleep and this kid had, they all got given uh, like half of an elk hide when they came to like make a backpack and Mm -hmm. things with them. This kid made an elk hide speedo, like, <laughs> and like a headband and moccasins, and like somehow found mud and painted his face all up, <laughs> and ran to the top of the peak. And in the midst of a, of a lightning storm ca- oh, coming gosh. down, he proceeded to curse God oh, and God. all of everything at the top of his lungs. And like, I come out of my tent, it's like lightning crashing. This kid's on this mountaintop, just like, "Fuck you, God!" Like. Oh my God, that was something I'll never forget. Yeah, that um, one that one stays seared in the mind for sure. Yeah, um, but I guess in a, in maybe a deeper sense, uh, here's one more example. I'll just pull yeah. the first one that comes up is um, one of my favorite humans I've ever got to work with was a he's from the Midwest. I don't remember if it was Kansas or Nebraska, and um, you know we had a he came on a eight day wilderness expedition in, uh, I think we were in Yellowstone national park backpacking. And I talked to him a few weeks before when he applied and, you know, he was just this like really, really reserved, but kind guy. I guess I just probably saw myself in him from a smaller town in the Midwest and, you could tell like something was just like there was a fire lit inside of him, but he had no idea what that fire was and what it meant and what to do. He just kind of like, he saw this thing. He's like, Jesus, I've never been in the woods, but this, like, I think I need to do this. And he just showed up and, um, was really, really, really out of his element. It was really, really, really uncomfortable and, uh, you know, I remember we would hike up the Western slope. So going West to East up over the Gallatin range and a couple of re- pretty vigorous days of backpacking. And, you know, he broke down, man, he really broke down and just really didn't, didn't want to go any further. And, um, but we just made room for him and made space for him. And, uh, it was such, I, I don't remember, I think, I, I think I was hiking with him. But something clicked or something like, I don't know, he got some sort of, he got something out emotionally. And all of a sudden, like, I swear to God, he like raised up and and had better posture, like grew like three inches taller and just started hiking Hmm. like a, you know, like a very well-trained soldier up and over that hill. And you could just feel his heart crack open. And, um, so, I mean, there's a, yeah, that was just yeah. one really lovely. No, that's moment. good. That just kind of gave me goosebumps. I mean, you talk about transformative. I mean, that word gets used, but that's truly, that's transformative. Totally. Yeah, that's impressive. Somatic meditation. Can you describe what that is and how it varies from other forms of meditation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the word somatic uh, refers to the body. And uh, so there's an analog here. That in the therapeutic world, there's a lot of uh, somatic therapy or you know somatic psychotherapy practices, and, and really just what that means in a very simple you know basic sense is um, experiencing our emotional baggage, our trauma, our feeling state, our desires, all of those things with a actually there's a. Uh, uh, piece that my artist friend John Morrow did. And it's just a picture of the human head and the human heart, like the, you know, basically belly button up. And it's just an elevator that goes down the shaft from the head into the heart and the body. And so, um, somatic meditation, just like somatic psychotherapy is oriented toward experiencing and living the life through your body and not just through your mind. Right. And so, um, a somatic Meditation is not like a widespread thing. My teacher, Reggie Ray, is uh, and his partner, Caroline, are, I, I actually don't know anybody that does it in such an explicit way, right? So it's a Tibetan Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhist lineage that has been, um, you know, Reggie's brought in all these other practices from like Hakomi therapy and other body-based things. And 
I guess one way to describe it is that, you know, we, earlier we were talking about like the primal human experience and the, like the head-based way in which we live now, um, like in our minds, in the digital space, moving so quickly all the time, like it's, um, it's not how it went for a long time, right? So our emotional systems are sort of all of our inner processing systems are actually finely tuned, amazing, you know, entities that can take life and experience it and live it and all the way through the body. So, you know, maybe, and I mean, this is a guess, but, you know, 2000 years ago in India or Tibet, like people were completely feel they're living in their body. Like just like me going out to the woods for a week now, sure. you know, they, they were more connected to their bodies and more aware of them. So that meditation maybe back then, uh, you know, was just meditation and, 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 um, but if you think about a lot of the practices like yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong or massage and any of the sort of therapeutic types of human thing, they, they tend to bring you um, back to that sense of your body and, and not take you further away from it. So somatic meditation is very implicit or explicitly and implicitly um, using the body as the sort of the reference to, to, to meditate on and with and through, right? So there's a lot of practice like laying on your back and feeling your feet and then feeling every part of your body. But really um, that's the whole point. Like you don't have to do anything else, but actually just like, can you sit there and feel your feet more? Can you feel your pelvis? Can you feel your back? Can you feel all of the things? And then that putting your awareness into your body just automatically starts this process of relaxation and sort of, shedding old layers of tension and all kinds of stuff. So, but what I would say last thing about somatic meditation is that it's, um, I see it as an adventurous Avenue of contemplative practice. It's not, it's not just to sit and feel peaceful. It's that I want to feel life in all of its forms. And this is me waking up to that. I like that. So as a lay person, such as myself, who's dabbled in, trying some forms of meditation, but probably more of the mind, as you were just talking about a second ago, where would someone like myself or somebody that wants to try this after hearing you describe it, where would be a good starting point? Yeah. So my, my teacher's website, it's, it's a, an org called Dharma Ocean. They're based out of Colorado and um, they have some basic practices or like first day practices for free okay. website. Um, other avenues would be uh, yoga Nidra. I don't know if anybody's in the yoga world. That's a type of it's it's kind of a similar practice where you it's a body scan based practice and a relaxation practice. Um, I also do think that uh, you know things like um, Qigong is something that I've taken up in the past maybe year and a half of my life, and um, it's really kind of wildly effective, kind of very very functionally effective, and coming back to the body and balancing things out. Yeah. Okay, great. I'll give it a try. So the pandemics obviously had a big impact on people's mental health. Based on the work that you do and your connection with people and running these retreats, and you just got back from this eight-day canoe trip with a, a group of individuals, have you noticed any specific or significant changes in people's attitudes over the last 18 months that you're dealing with now as compared to the mm-hmm. same individual maybe five years ago, 10 years ago? Yeah. I mean, the first is, is just the, uh, I would say, I think there was a lot of fires linder people from COVID since COVID. And so whether that's, um, my marriage actually did blow up or it got close to it or, um, my job's no longer there and I don't know who I am without it or, uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of letting go that's had to happen, you know, in the past couple of years because of this. And I would say a, um, a further acceptance or acknowledgement that there's just some general tension and fear and uncertainty um, that I think maybe wasn't, you know, and maybe that's not true with nine eleven and things. Maybe, maybe that. But you know, the COVID. It's just, it's just. I don't know. It's turned up the gas, man. It's turned up the gas for everybody yeah. in in noticeable ways. But I think that's also given the room to 
just you, like you said, some of the silver lining, but I do think it's, um, I don't know if it's people got a taste of it, but the, the actual desire to slow down and maybe I feel like people are getting like an inner mandate a little bit more like, you know, the old way doesn't work now and we have to find another, another avenue. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, I think the, um, the, the, coming back to the body, spending time in nature, um, you know, prioritizing self and family. Um, I think it just seems like a pretty natural thing to be doing these days. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. I, I, it's kind of created a reckoning, I believe for a lot of people. What what do we want out of life? What's important? Yeah. You're seeing a lot of people make wholesale lifestyle changes, moving away from cities, changing careers, whatever it might be. One other quick thing would be a, uh, a more verbal, a more frontal recognition of uh, inequality of all types too. You know, that's been so, so big, you know, in the past five, six years um, always has always been big, but you know, has peaked in some ways with some, with some movements, but you know, I, I think there is more, it's still one of those areas that guys are scared to go, but it's more and more um, happening. Right. Just to sort of talk and talk through yeah. those things. All right, Dan, I always like to wrap up my interviews with some parting shots. So I just want you to fire off the, the, the first thing that pops into your mind here, okay? You're having a conversation with the 20-year-old version of yourself. Okay. What advice would you give yourself? I'd just say you're doing pretty good, man. Um, then I would say grow a pair <laughs> and don't stay in relationships longer than... Hmm. than uh, uh, is right. Probably that's a, that, that's a, probably, probably a good conversation for all of us, not just yourself. Uh, a non-living thing you cannot live without. My Ford F one fifty. Right on. I could, but I don't want to. That's right. But why? 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 If you don't have to, why? Right. You are happiest when. Um. <laughs> uh. Like Probably this morning. I mean, the, the morning you just laid out to me sounds pretty damn <laughs> I good. Say, I mean, as yeah, you're telling me that, I was like, I need a morning like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Having a uh, a nice moment with my wife in the woods. Yeah, that'll do. All right. This just came to me as we've been talking. You're you're familiar with the television show Alone, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Okay. So for yeah. for those that aren't right, where they send, I think it's usually ten individuals out into some remote location in the wilderness, separated by miles, so they don't see one another. And it's simply last person standing, whoever yeah. can last the longest out in the wilderness, and no one knows how long others, yeah, how many people are still left in the show. How do you think you would do on that show? What's, what's the longest you've been alone in the wilderness? Uh, longest I've been alone is probably six days. Um, okay. Longest I've been out with others was uh, was like close to fifty. Close to fifty. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I did a long trip with it for a company once. Um, I think. I mean, I'm a fan of the show, so I thought about this a lot. Uh, I think I would do fairly well. I think the mental game. And the, like, I think I would actually just really fucking love being alone. Um, like that part, I think it'd be really great. I'm a fair enough hunter. I'm definitely a solid woodsman. I know what I'm doing. Um, but watching a couple of those seasons, especially the last one, like that, like that Alaskan guide that like killed a fucking buffalo and like built a, like, I don't have the skills, (laughs) man. Like, like that dude's fucking tougher than me, right? Like I'm yeah. not gonna like I know there's no way. And the other guy who killed the it was like a dude that killed a wolverine. First of all, he killed hatchet, like right. What, like, what the, like, it was amazing and almost yeah. out of. I mean, and the wolverine and that was after he killed what was it an elk or something with a bow that and then the wolverine ate yeah. the. Oh, that dude was insane. He'd no, spent right, time, exactly. He'd, he'd spent time out with like some Siberian bushman. You know, well, like, yeah, he's, like Michael, and stuff. he's like Michael Jordan, man. <laughs> right, and like, exactly. I, I would be like, I don't know, whoever was like the last string player on the Bulls that year, right? Like, yeah. pretty good, but like, um, but I would love to. And if I didn't have a family, I would absolutely be on that show. Would have yeah. been on it already. Yeah, sure. yeah, no, you do, you do great. As I, as I've talked, as I've been talking to you here for the last hour, it's like oh, Dan could hold his own out there on that on that show. We 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 watch that yeah. at the fire station a fair amount. So, all right, a couple more questions for you here. You have to do something you're scared to do. 
what's your process of quieting that fear and proceeding anyways? Step up and jump. Just like that's, that's part of the meditation training too, which is like when I come to a cliff, I tend to just jump off of it. So maybe I don't give myself too, too long to get wrapped around the axle. What does being brave mean to Dan Doty? I guess it means being, um, all of you, you know, like, like it means not whatever, however the mind does its like limiting thing, uh, on who we are and what, like whatever it is that like closes down our hearts or our full expression of ourself, that's the opposite. So I guess being brave is, um, like moving right through those um, limiting fears. Right on, brother. Well, man, Dan, it's been a pleasure. I feel like I could probably sit here and talk to you for hours and glean all kinds of information and knowledge from you. And I'd love to join you on uh, one of your retreats one of these days. So I'll have to talk that over with Bonnie, see if I can make it happen. Yeah, man. Well, I got space for you whenever you're ready. Yeah. That'd be sweet, dude. Sure. And I appreciate you, man. Appreciate the time. Thanks for all the work you're doing, not only just uh, joining me today, but just for all the work you're doing for so many others and helping everybody out and helping everybody reach their potential. Thanks, man. Appreciate awesome, it. Awesome, man. All right, Dan. Take care and uh, best of luck with the upcoming baby, baby girl. Thanks. That's a wrap on episode 20 with Dan Doty. I hope Dan provided some inspiration to all those looking to slow down, become more connected to their surroundings, and live a more full life. To learn more about Dan and the coaching he provides, you can visit his website at dandoty.com. That's D-A-N-D-O-T-Y.com. To learn more about what's going on in my world, you can visit my website at ryanshafer.com. One final reminder to share, rate, and subscribe to The Bravest Kind with Ryan Schaefer. We'll be back at it next week with another fearless guest. Until then, continue to be brave in your own lives.